Father in heaven, what a privilege we have here tonight at the end of such a long day to be back in the presence of God. Father, when we get to heaven and we can see you undiluted, we're never going to weary of being in the presence of God. Every day will seem like something new. But until then, you've given us this moment. And it is our prayer, Father, that you would do something special tonight. That you would take this man who is but dust in your sight. That you would speak through me and you'll speak to me. May the sweet, sweet spirit of Jesus rest upon this place, impressing the truth upon the mind of every soul. And help us to respond in complete and utter surrender to his majesty and his glory. This is our prayer. And we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Matthew chapter 22. I've entitled my sermon, When Everything is Not Enough. I don't know about you, but I've had some relationships in my life where I felt like I gave everything to this relationship. And even though I gave my all, it seemed as if for this person, everything was not enough. I bet there are some women in this audience who can understand what I'm talking about, who have given of themselves, and it seems as if their everything is not enough. I can imagine there are some men who feel that they've had relationships in life where it seems as if your everything, your all, it's not enough. Unfortunately, this experience continues even to our day. It's not just between husband and wife. It is also between parents and children. There are children, even though their parents have given everything, it just seems as if, as a mother and a father, your everything was not enough. There are children waiting for their parents just to say, I'm proud of you. But it seems as a child, no matter how many accomplishments, no matter how much you succeed, no matter how far you go, and how many accolades and affirmations you receive from some of the most prestigious institutions and individuals 
on the planet. Your everything is not enough. There's always something more you have to do. There's always something you could have done better. And you can look at this person and say, I gave my all. And the person will look at you and say, just wasn't enough. There is nothing more defeating. There is nothing more discouraging than to have given your all and to discover your everything is not enough. Can you imagine the sorrow that must rest upon such a soul? God finds himself in this position where everything that God has done and all the love that God has expressed and poured out, it just seems as if his everything was not enough. We still demand more from Jesus. Tonight, I begin with God making a demand for all. Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, the Bible says, But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, who was a smart, intelligent man who was familiar with the Old Testament scrolls. He didn't have chapters and verses, but he knew what was in them. He asked them a question, but his intention was not because he was sincere in knowledge-seeking, not because he felt his ignorance or his utter dependence upon Jesus. But he asked them a question, the Bible says, testing him. People like to test God. And it's never changed, even in 2019. We talked about last night, people toying with all kinds of entertainment and extracurricular activities. Because people still today like to test God. They come to Sabbath school asking divisive questions. Not because they're sincere in seeking the truth, but because they just want to test God. People come to events like GYC Canada, mingle among the crowds, start sowing questions. Not because they're sincerely seeking revival, but because they're just testing God. It's good to know that Jesus fared no better than you or me. Because sometimes people say things to you and they're just testing you. Sometimes people disrespect you because they're just testing you. But Jesus is our example, amen? He knows how to handle a situation when somebody is testing you. The lawyer said, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? 
What a question to pose to Jesus. What a question to pose to God, the commandment giver himself. The one who is the seat and the authority of the law. To come and say, you as God, the spirit behind every scripture, what is the great commandment in the law? Knowing there were hundreds of them in the Old Testament. Jesus said to him in verse 37, You shall do what? You shall do what? Love the Lord your God. With how much of your heart? With all your heart. With all your soul. And with all your mind, this is the first and great commandment. Jesus says the number one commandment is not covetousness. It is not even Sabbath keeping. Jesus says the greatest commandment among the family of God is to love God. That is the number one rule in heaven's house. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart. So the question becomes, how do you violate such a commandment? How do you break the greatest commandment in the law? Well, the first way you break this commandment is you love God with less than all your heart. If we love God with half of our hearts, we have violated the great commandment in the law. Can you say amen? If we are 99% Christian, we have violated the great commandment in the law. If we love God with less than all of our minds, if we love God with less than all of our strength, we have violated the great commandment in the law. But you see, there's another way to violate this commandment. It's to love God with all your wallet, but not your heart. I'm going to love him with something else besides my heart. I'm going to love him with something else besides my mind. Besides my soul, I'm going to love God with my time, but I'm not going to give him my mind. I'm going to make sure my tithe is paid consistently, but I'm not going to love the Lord, my God, with my affections. See, brothers and sisters, this is the difference between someone that is on fire for God because nothing burns deeper than love. We talk about being on fire for God. It's not a bunch of activities. It is rooted in an unabandoned desire to bestow all affections upon Jesus. To say to God, I'm going to love you with every ounce of what I have. But you see, it's interesting when we look at this commandment, 
someone could easily ask and say, yeah, but how does God fare with this law? Is God living in harmony with what he himself has demanded from man? Is this the principle that actuated the life of Jesus? You see, if this is the heart of the law, is to love God. If that is the heart of the law, then Jesus' entire life was an expression of love to God. Unfortunately, for many of us who love to hear this sentimental interpretation of the cross, that Jesus was so in love with you and me that this pushed him to die on the cross, I have news for you. Jesus didn't just go to the cross for you and for me. He went to the cross because he loved God. His concern was not only our salvation. His concern was also the name and the character of his heavenly father. He was concerned with the fact that his name has not been hallowed in all of the universe. He was concerned that even on the earth, people consider God as someone who hates them. People consider God as someone who forgets about them, who overlooks them. Jesus died upon the cross because he loved God. And he loved him with all his heart. If we are questioning that, we only have to go to Gethsemane. Even when Jesus' own being recoiled from the cross, Jesus said, nevertheless, your will be done. Because he loved God. When you love God, you do things that can sometimes make you sweat great drops of blood. When you love God, sometimes you fall to the earth as a dead man. Feeling as if you got nothing left. And yet God says, I need more. Sometimes when you love God, no one else understands why you are doing what you are doing. Because you love God with all. Why is it that Jesus was unhesitating in his ability and willingness to love God with all? If, in fact, God had not loved with all himself. If Jesus suspected in his mind that God is demanding of me that which he himself will not live up to, Jesus might have hesitated. He might have said, this is not a reciprocal relationship. Have you been in one of those before? A friendship, some sort of romantic interest, where it seems as if you're giving and giving and giving and the person is never giving? You know what I'm talking about? You're like, man, I don't know. All of a sudden, you start wanting to hold back. Because you're like, you know what? I'm giving all of this effort and this person's giving nothing. They only call me when they need something. 
But when I need something, straight to voicemail. Never get a call back or a text. And it's like they purposely waited three days to make sure the situation was resolved before they called back. You're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. So all of a sudden you decide in your mind, you know what? I'm going to need to dial it back on this relationship. If Jesus suspected that God was demanding from him what God was not willing to give and to pay himself, he would have hesitated. Here I am sweating great drops of blood. I'm about to bear the burden of all the sins of humanity that have ever lived. And knowing, according to the spirit of prophecy, that Jesus' sacrifice was so efficacious, so sufficient, that it would cover, even if sin were to arise again, Jesus' death has covered that too. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus was coming with all. And if he ever suspected in his mind that God was going to give him anything less, he would have hesitated and stumbled in Gethsemane. So permit me tonight to talk about how God has already demonstrated that he's willing to love with all. God is in harmony with his own law. God has not asked of you or me anything he himself has not laid on the table first. So permit me. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the book of 1 John, chapter 4. We know this verse very well. 1 John, chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. The Bible says, He who does not love does not know God. For God is what? God is love. Patriarchs and prophets, the very first sentence of the book, God is love. His law and his nature is love. Now this is interesting. To say that God is love God is not loving. God is not lovable. God is not lovely. But God is love itself. You cannot understand love if you don't know God. All the actions of God are an expression of love. It's interesting because when we talk about the love of God, we always want to begin with humanity. But the truth is, if we want to understand the love of God, we have to start with eternity past. That the love of God is something that has existed long before you and I were ever, ever brought into creation. We have to transcend the history of the earth. 
We have to go back far, far beyond the creation of the universe. We have to go far, far back beyond any and all existence around God and realize that the love of God is an inner Trinitarian love. God has always loved the Son. God has always loved the Father. And when Jesus was on earth, this never changed. Go with me to the Gospel of John. I want you to see how much God loved Jesus. And it's a wonder that we don't. Matthew chapter 3, I'm sorry. Matthew in the third chapter. The Bible says, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, after Jesus was baptized, it says, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am what? Well pleased. God said, this is my beloved son. He was announcing something he had always felt from eternity past. God looked upon Jesus and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God is not pleased with anything less than perfection. Did you know that? That means if God is pleased, must be perfect. If God is pleased, it must be just right. If God is pleased, that means it's exactly what he was thinking in his own mind. But you see, if we go to John chapter 1, verse 18. This love between the Father and the Son. The Bible says in John chapter 1, in verse 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is where? Who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. To be in the bosom of God is to mean that he is in close affection to God. He lays upon his chest in love and in fellowship. He says Jesus is the only begotten. The one that was in the bosom of the Father. He is in the innermost councils of the Most High. But Jesus begins through the Gospel of John to show us exactly how much God loved Jesus. Go with me to John chapter 3, verse 35. John chapter 3 and verse 35. The Bible says the Father loves the Son and has given how many things into His hand? All things into His hands. God loves Jesus so much that He's given all things into his hands. Right then and there, you know that love and trust and faith are directly connected. Because God's love never is in opposition to his wisdom. God's love is never in opposition to his holiness. So in order for God to love Jesus and to give him all things, it must have also agreed with his infinite wisdom. God does not love foolishly. God is not sentimental. God is not emotional. God is not up and down. 
God is not impulsive. But he loved Jesus, so he gave all things into his hand. Go to John chapter 5 and verse 20. John 5 verse 20, the Bible says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Jesus says, God loves me so much, not only does he give me all things, he shows me all things about himself. When God loves someone, not only is he giving them everything, he says, I'm going to show you the things that I'm doing so that you can do the same. It is an expression of the love of God, that God reveals himself to be known and to be followed and to be imitated. He loves Jesus, so he shows him all things that he does. And even greater. Go with me to John chapter 10, verse 17. John chapter 10, verse 17, the Bible says, Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. Jesus said, God loves me, because I'm laying down my life for my sheep. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Verse 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Interesting. Jesus says we are so closely connected. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. He's shown me all things that he himself does. So when you look at me, you're really looking at who? You're looking at the Father. Look at verse 31, same chapter. John 14, verse 31. The Bible says, but that the world may know that I what? That I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise. Let us go from here. He says, I want the world to know that I love the Father. And he's been talking about, this is how much God loves me and Jesus loves God. But this is the best one. John 17, verse 24. Jesus' intercessory prayer in Gethsemane, he's talking to God alone. And he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. I don't know about you, but just in the basic reading of Scripture, it seems to me that Jesus was confident in the love of God. Can you say amen? Jesus knew that his Father loved him. Jesus did not question. 
Jesus was not wavering. He was not unsure. And it makes sense that right here in the chapter before Gethsemane, Jesus says, Father, I know that you've loved me before the foundation of the world. So when he was in Gethsemane and God was demanding his all, Jesus says, God has loved me with all things because he loved me so much, he gave me all things. He loved me so much that he's shown me everything that he himself does. He loves me because I'm laying down my life for the sheep. But you may say, Sebastian, that's great how much God loves Jesus. But what if I told you that God loves you just as much? Don't take my word for it. Just go one verse earlier. John 17, verse 23. Jesus says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have what? I wouldn't believe it unless it was in the word of God. God has loved you and me just as he loved Jesus. That means when God looks at you today, he says, behold, my beloved son, behold, my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased because God has loved you as he has loved Jesus. Jesus said that, not me. Jesus said that, not you. He said, Father, I want them to know that you have loved, past tense. You have loved them just as you have loved me. That means God has loved us. He wants to show us everything that he himself does. That the world may marvel. God has loved us so he's committed into our hands all things. God loves us just as much as he loves Jesus. I want you to notice Verse 26, John 17. It says, And I have declared to them your name, and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be where? In them. So God says, Jesus, I've loved you. Jesus says, God has loved you the way that he's loved me. And then this love, that God has loved Jesus and loved you and me, he now wants that same love to be inside of us. This lets us know that the love of God, that God has loved us just as much as he loved Jesus, means he loved Jesus before the foundation of the world. The fact is, the love of God is an infinite love. God's love has never grown tired. It has never grown weary. Listen to this quote from Fifth Testimonies, page 740. All the paternal love, that means the love of fathers, which has come down, all of it, from generation to generation, through the channel of human hearts, all the springs of tenderness which have opened in the souls of men are but a tiny rill. Bet you don't know what a rill is. See, a rill is when a river is passing through, sometimes a little bit of water spills over on the side. That's called a rill. 
And he says, all the paternal love, every love that every parent has ever had for a child, as long as there's been a human being on earth, if you could wrap all that love into one heart, compared to the love of God, it is like comparing a tiny rill, a little detour of a little bit of water off of a river to a boundless ocean. Without shore and without bottom. It is infinite, exhaustless, the love of God. She goes on to say, tongue cannot utter it. Pen cannot portray it. You may meditate upon it every day of your life. You may search the scriptures diligently in order to understand this love. You may summon every power and capability. Are you listening to what I'm telling you? Every power and capability that God is giving you in the endeavor to comprehend the love of God. Yet there is an infinity beyond. You didn't hear what I said. If you meditated upon the love of God every day of your life, since you had comprehension, since you can make your subject and verb agree, since you can understand, I don't care if it's English, French, Spanish, Creole, you pick a language. You can meditate on it every single day of your life. You can use every power of the mind and body and soul in order to comprehend it. And yet at the end of your life, there is an infinity beyond. God is saying, you're just getting started, but the quote is not done. <laughs> you may study that love for ages. That means generations, hundreds of years, yet you can never fully comprehend the length and breadth and the depth and the height of the love of God in giving his son to die for the world. Listen to this last sentence. Eternity itself can never fully reveal it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Eternity is not long enough to allow the heart of God to be fully empty. His love is greater than eternity. His love is greater than infinity. Forever is not long enough for God to love. I don't even understand what that means. <laughs> you try to understand it. The quote is telling us, you'll lose your mind. But if you don't believe it, you'll lose your soul. This is the love that he had for Jesus. And Jesus said, he loved you the same way that he loved Jesus. But you say, Sebastian, that's great. But notice it says, the love of God in giving his son. See, not only is the love of God inner Trinitarian, not only is the love of God infinite, but this love is a sacrificial love. I want you to go to John chapter 3, verse 16. We know that verse. John chapter 3, verse 16. 
The Bible says, this is actually Jesus talking, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for the purpose that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a self-sacrificial love. Understand that when the Bible says that God gave his only son, Manogenes, his only one, there is no other of any other kind. God doesn't have, I have four children. God only has one begotten son. His only. And notice Desire of Ages, page 25. He, God, gave Jesus not only to bear our sins and to die as our sacrifice. He gave him to the fallen race, period. But it's not done. To assure us of his immutable counsel of peace. God gave his only begotten son to become one of the human family forever to retain his human nature. You see, if God's love is infinite, then the gift must be infinite. It doesn't make sense that I could love you with a love greater than eternity and I would give you a gift that is less than eternal. Are you following what I'm saying? How can I say, well, I'm going to give you Jesus for 33 years and then I'm going to take him back? I gave him to you for 33 years. No, 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 no. When God gave us Jesus, he gave him to humanity. My son is yours. And what this is telling us is that God gave God. And God so loved the world that he gave God. The eternal, immutable, I am that I am. The God that is always sovereign. This Christ, upon whom the kingdoms of this world will be under his kingdom. The one in whom has a name above every name. He says, I gave you him. But you see, this still does not capture it. Because even though Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrated his love. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. So that means God showed us this infinite love when we were still in rebellion against him. But that still doesn't do it. You have to go to John chapter 1 and verse 29. The Bible says in John chapter 1 and verse 29, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the what? The Lamb of God that does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Now here's a problem with this statement. Because when you and I talk about the Lamb of God, we have to realize there were no Christians at that time. Only Jews. See, me coming from the world, from the streets, I don't think it's ever been cool to call a man a lamb. You walked around Chicago and said, behold, the Lamb of God. There is no glory in that. You can call a man a lion. You can call him a tiger. You can call him a snake. But you can't call him a lamb. And here is John. Behold, the Lamb of God. So when I came into the church, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what in the world? Why are you calling a man a lamb? 
And this is supposed to be, behold, surprise. Look, the lamb. Brother, do you know anything about lambs? <laughs> They're blind, weak. They can't fight. If there's danger, they just huddle up and freeze. A lamb. That's why we say like a lamb to the what? To the slaughter. Because you are helpless. And he says, this man right here is the lamb of God. But you see, you have to understand what it meant to those people in that day. You see, back in the Old Testament, before Jesus had died, when a man sinned, he had to bring a lamb. So that means there was a brother in his tent in Israel. And while he's dwelling in his tent in Israel, he realizes in his conscience, I have sinned against God. So he goes out into his flock and he's looking at his animals. And mind you, the lamb was not just an animal. He didn't have pets. The lamb was his sustenance. That's where you get your food. That's your wealth. That's your money. That's your property. That's your clothing. That's how you provide for your family. So here you go, you go out and God says, no, 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 not just any lamb. You got to get the lamb the first year, young, ready to reproduce. And when you go to get that young lamb, no, 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 you got to get the one without blemish because you know what we would do. God says, I need to sacrifice the lamb. Let me go get that beat up, broken lamb in the back with the busted leg hobbling around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I sin. Come here. I'm going to carry you over. No, no, no. You got to get the lamb without spot or blemish. In other words, the lamb has to be what? Perfect. It's got to be your very best. And then you take that lamb and you put it on your shoulders and you start walking through the camp to the sanctuary. And as you're carrying that lamb, everybody knows what? You sin. And as you're walking the walk of shame, with your little lamb. And then you come and the priest knows why you're there. Then you take that lamb off your shoulders. You got to put your hands on the head of that lamb. All your weight upon that lamb. And confess your sin. To symbolize the transfer of your guilt to the innocent animal. And as you go, the priest says, wait, one last thing before we move forward, hands you a knife. Now you have to take this blade and cut the throat of your very best lamb. Then he takes the blood, catches it, sprinkles it at the base of the altar, puts the lamb and arranges it on the altar, and then carries that blood into the holy place. Sprinkles it seven times. And now the priest says, you are forgiven. You can go home. Because when you bring that lamb, that lamb is your substitute. That lamb is now in your place. That lamb is now you, and you are now the lamb. Are you following what I'm saying? You go home innocent, he dies. We need to understand something very clearly. God forgives sinners, he does not forgive sin. The sin is punished. The sinner is forgiven. 
The very fact that the lamb died means that sin received its just due. Now I want you to imagine in this scenario, in the sanctuary, it is the man with the sin who carries the lamb. But yet, the Bible didn't say the lamb of the world. It said the lamb of what? God. But who has the sin? Who has the sin? Look at the Bible verse. The lamb of God that takes away the what? Sin of the world. So the world has the sin, but the world ain't got no lamb. They don't have one that's perfect. They don't have one without spot. They don't have one without blemish. They don't have one that can pay the penalty. So here the world has a sin. But the world ain't got no lamb. You and I, we got the sin. But we ain't got no lamb. We have no offering. With what, Micah says, shall I come before the Lord? And bow myself before God on high. Shall I give my firstborn the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Shall I come with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? What can I do? You and I have nothing to bring. We go to Jesus empty with nothing but sin. And yet the Bible says, hallelujah. That even though we got the sin, God says, I'm willing to provide a lamb. But guess what? God, you can't just bring any lamb. Because if it's the lamb of God, it's got to be heaven's best. You got to choose the one that's perfect. You got to choose the one that can bear the weight and the full penalty of the law. You got to bear someone whose blood can be shed and whose life is eternal, infinite, just as the law. So we don't realize, brothers and sisters, that when we sinned, it cost heaven its very best. But guess what? God had to kill his own lamb. Jesus did not die from crucifixion. Normally that takes three days. They were shocked that he was dead that soon. Jesus died, as we are told, of a broken heart. Of the absence of his father. Because the absence of the feeling of the love of God was too dark for him. If there's anything that can break the human soul, it is the absence of the presence and the love of God. To feel estranged from your maker. To feel as if you are cut off from all love and benevolence and kindness. So we can preach all these different things that we can have. But guess what? We will die of a broken heart. If we cannot sense and know the love of God. The love of God is a sacrificial love. And if God gave God, then you tell me, as we started this sermon, how is it that between you and Jesus, between me and Jesus, 
that God is in a situation right now where he says, I gave my everything, and sometimes everything is not enough. So God, we look at him and we say, I gave everything in my beloved son. Eternity itself could never fully reveal the love that I showed in the gift of my son. And we look at God and say, but Lord, what about my rent? Because what we're saying to Jesus is, your everything is not enough. We go to God and God says, I gave you my son, everything on the cross. And we say, but Lord, you still haven't found me a husband. You still haven't found me a wife. What we're saying to Jesus is, your everything is not enough. When we go to God and we say, well, I can't praise the Lord today. I don't want to serve the Lord today because, you know, I don't have enough money for my rent. I got more month than money. I can't afford to buy my kids all the latest stuff. Seems like we're living month to month. God, when are we going to get ahead? What we're saying to Jesus is, your everything is not enough. But you see, the truth is, brothers and sisters, it is not that God's everything is not enough. Because guess what? I know that hurts. We all know what it's like to give your all. And the person says, I need more. And you're looking at the person like, I got nothing left to give. But you see, when it comes to God, he says, I want you to love me with how much of your heart? All your heart. How much of your mind? How much of your soul? How much of your strength? Yet here is the point. Listen to me very carefully. When you and I go to Jesus and we surrender our all, we're not even giving him something infinite. The truth is, our everything, finish it, is not enough. But yet some of us, we struggle to even give all. Even if we gave all, our everything is what? It's not enough. Here is God on the other side of the table. Here's infinite love. I gave God. I've given myself. Desire of Ages says all of heaven in one gift. God gave us all of heaven. And we come with our little four score years and ten up in Ottawa. And we struggling to give him one year. We struggling to give him 30 minutes. And even if we gave all, it would not be reciprocal. Because our everything would not be enough. Brothers and sisters, in the mind of God, he cannot understand that for you and me, we could walk around here with a gloomy attitude no joy, 
no praise, no gratitude. And why is that? Because we come here and we need something more than the cross. Because God's everything, it's not enough. When the truth is, our everything is what? Not enough. But we look at God and we say, yeah, Lord, thanks for dying for me on the cross. But, you know, I'm going to need something else. I'm going to need to update your blessings. I'm going to need you to update for your, your resume. Yeah, 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 I heard about Jesus. What have you done for me lately? That's what we're saying to God. Because guess what, Jesus? Your everything is not enough. I used to sit down with my roommate in college. And we used to talk about the fact that when you and I fully understand the cross, even if God never blessed me again, I have reason to praise him every single day. Even if I don't get into the school I want to get into. Even if I never find that special someone. Even if I never get that dream job. I never make the money I want. I never get the recognition I'm looking for. I never achieve X, Y, and Z goals in life. Even if the cross is enough to still drive me to my knees to worship and praise God. Because anything less is telling God, you're everything, it's just not enough. God says, I got nothing left to give. I'll never forget the day I came home from work. Could tell my wife was bothered. So I walked into the kitchen. I said, What's going on, guys? Kids were quiet. Wife was quiet. My kids said, You know, we were upset with mama today. We told her that she's a bad mama, she's the worst. Can I tell you how much rage came up in my heart? And I pulled my kids aside. I said, you think mama wants to wake up at five in the morning to comfort you when you got a bad dream? You think mama wants to wipe your butt every time you stink in your pamper because you're too lazy to go to the bathroom? You think mama wants to cook you three meals a day? Why do you think she does it? Because she loves you. Not because she wants to. Not because it feels good. I said, your mom gives you everything. And you never will ever communicate to her that her everything is not enough. Because it's more than you deserve. Kids are looking at me wide-eyed like, man, this is deep. <laughs> when I saw those tears in my wife's eyes, I understood. 
something about God. When you give everything, and yet everything is not enough. I used to live my whole life just to make my dad proud. Just to prove to him that I was something. That I was somebody. You could do this. You could do that. I remember growing up feeling like no matter what I did, it was never enough. Could always be better. You could always do it this way. You could have done it differently. You could have invested this money. You could have done this. You start walking away and you say, you know what? Everything is not enough. I got nothing left. Brothers and sisters, who are we today? Are we ungrateful children? Are we saying to God, you're everything? It's not enough. God has asked of us an ounce of what he has offered. We couldn't even offer him eternity if he asked us. I can just offer my little 80-year life. That's all I can offer you, Lord. And the truth is, even my everything is not enough. Brothers and sisters, when we look at what Jesus has provided, I want to read to you this last quote before I make my appeal. It says in Christ's Object Lessons, page 314, when a soul receives Christ, he receives power to live the life of Christ. When a soul receives Christ, he receives the power to live the life of Christ. And inherent in the life of Christ is a 100% assurance of the love of God. That's what leads us to sacrifice. Because when I give my all, and it seems like everybody is coming up short on the other side of the stick, I'm 100% confident God isn't going to come up short. Because I was never doing it just for you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus didn't just go to the cross for you and for me. He went because he loved God. And he wanted to love him with all. What about you and me? It's interesting. The statement, steps to Christ. 
says either we are 100% Christians or we are none at all. Either we are 100% Christian or we are none at all. To receive the gift of Christ means that we receive the love of God and we love Him because He first loved us. And how did He love us? just as much as he loved Jesus with everything. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Perhaps tonight I have two appeals. Go ahead, you can start playing. My first appeal, because I only have three minutes. My first appeal is for that person who has been questioning and doubting the love of God. Yet tonight, God has been speaking to your heart. And you're ready to come to God and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I made you think that your everything is not enough. If that is you, I want you to come right here to my left. You say, Lord, I need assurance of that love. Come, it only takes one brave soul to start. Right here to my left. I need that assurance of your love. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. If you're not coming, you need to be praying. Because souls are wrestling. And we need prayer to help people to break free. Lord, I need the assurance of your love and I'm sorry that I made you feel that your everything was not enough. My second invitation as others who may be coming, you can still come if the Lord is speaking to you. But my second invitation is for those who realize maybe they thought they were doing something. But tonight they have seen that my everything is not enough. But Lord, I haven't even been giving all. I'm not even a 100 percenter. I'm a 50 percenter. I'm an 80 percenter. But tonight I realize in response to God's love, I'm ready to go all the way. I'm ready to give my all. I want you to come right here to my right. You say, Lord, I'm not going to be a 99 percent Christian. 
Come here to my right. I'm ready to give my all. Not to earn, but in response to the love of God. Because we love Him because He first loved us. To my right. Jesus knows. Come quickly. You're saying, Lord, I'm ready to give you my all. No more half-stepping, no more half-heartedness. I'm coming 100%. I realize today that even if I gave all, it's not enough. So how can I even hold back? We are told that some people find it hard to give all to Jesus when he has given all for them. She said, I'm ashamed to think it. I'm ashamed to write it. Come. Give all to Jesus. Come. Whoever you are, I'm not going to hold this much longer. My time is up. Come quickly. Lord, I'm ready to give all. Or you're coming to say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've questioned your love and made you feel as if your everything was not enough. Father in heaven, we just want to thank you for the love of God. Lord, we want to thank you for an infinite, eternal love. A love that never changes. A love that demands our all, even though it is not enough. But Lord, we are here at this altar. First, to confess that we are sorry. That our joy, that our rejoicing that our praise, that our service has been held back because we are searching for some present-day blessing because the cross was not sufficient. But Lord, today, tonight, we have come to confess that we are sorry, Lord. Sorry and broken at the idea that we would even make you think that your everything is not enough. Father, we want to tell you tonight that your all is enough. As the song says, it is enough for me that Jesus died and rose again. I need no other evidence. I need no other plea. Lord, we want to tell you it's enough. And we pray that you would help us to be resting in the assurance of the love of God. This is holiness. This is what it means to walk with Jesus. This is what it means to love God as Jesus loved him and to be loved. But also, Father, we have also come because we realize that our everything is not enough and yet we are still holding back. The fact that we would think our all is too much proves we do not understand the cross.
And so we've come because we want to be 100%. We come because we want to be all in on Jesus. We want to hold nothing back. We want to give you everything. Even though we know, Father, it's not enough. But we offer to you what we have. Lord, as we surrender to you tonight, in the eyes of the universe, it is like the widow putting in her two mites. What is that to so much? But Jesus praises those who gave all. Seal our commitment, Father, and help it to be unshakable is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.